Let's open in prayer. Lord, today we've been affirming and extolling you for your greatness. We've been meditating, Lord, on how awesome you are. There is none like you. And uh, Lord, there's nothing like your word in all the earth. There have been a lot of books written by many people, inspirational writers. But Lord, we know there's only one book that is God-breathed. And we thank you that we have your word given to us. It is a light to our path. It is a alive. It is powerful. It is able to penetrate our hearts. We pray that your word would even do that this day. And I pray, Lord, that whatever I say would not detract from the clear teaching of your word and the effect of your spirit to apply it to our hearts. And toward, toward that end, Lord, I pray that you might do your work in our moments together. For, Lord, we affirm Not only are you great, but the salvation we have in Christ is great, and your Holy Spirit is great, who can work that salvation in our hearts. We pray that he might have a great work this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Recently, we've had a challenge in our family trying to communicate uh, with my father-in-law. He is very poor of hearing, and so our phone calls become oftentimes a one-way conversation, sadly enough, where he just talks to us. And so my wife, as a very uh, kind expression of her uh, concern for him, has taken the time to write rather long, large uh, printed uh, letters to him, uh, several, like six or seven pages long, explaining what all's going on and trying to fill him in on things on this end of things. And I we sense that when he gets those letters, he really does appreciate them and feels like he gets caught up. I think when the the early Christians in Galatia received this Paul's letter for them, they didn't realize it wasn't just a lot of friendly news. The letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians was full of warnings. And Paul clearly is concerned. There's There's a somber tone to this letter when you read it because Paul is concerned that the believers are going to be drawn away from the true gospel of grace. If you got your Bible, hope you found your way into the book of Galatians. And there we sense that Paul was deeply concerned. It's a letter that's written out of a heart of love. Concerned that Christians, whether it be first century Christians or 21st century Christians, might easily be duped into replacing the gospel of grace with performance-driven legalism. Paul was pained in his soul. And he was longing for the gospel to have its transformative work in the hearts of those who are believers and that they would see the effect of the gospel begin to translate it into Christ-likeness in their life. The gospel declares that repentant sinners who believe upon Jesus Christ are forgiven and declared right with God. The gospel not only sets us free from the guilt that we accumulate for breaking the laws of God, but it also liberates us from ourselves. It liberates us from the need to try to gain acceptance by winning the approval of other people. And so having received the gospel and love from Christ in the gospel, sorry, the grace and love of God in the gospel, the hearts of believers undergo a process of change whereby the Spirit of God brings forth gospel fruit. And that's really what we've been talking about the last several weeks in our sermons here in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. 
If you look at chapter 4, just back up a couple of pages there, Galatians chapter 4, I want us to notice and highlight what was on Paul's heart in a very significant expression of his love and, and desire for them. And in the writing of this letter, he says, My children with whom I am again in labor until, and here's what his goal and desire was, Christ be formed in them. Christ be formed in them. What's he talking about? It's another way of saying Paul longs to see the character of Christ be outwardly evident in the lives of the true people of God. And so that takes us again now to Galatians chapter 5, in which we read uh, verses 22 and 23. I'll again read it for us as we... Uh, we've looked at some of these before, but we'll continue this morning. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is done in contrast with the outward works of the flesh. And so he's talking about what the Spirit of God does in applying the gospel to our hearts. And so that brings us this morning to two more, and I'm going to combine them together because they are quite similar, kindness and goodness. Kindness and goodness. So let's look at our first point, gospel-shaped character, clarifying what we mean by kindness and goodness. One of the ways the gospel shapes our hearts is to create within us a new awareness or increased concern for the people around us. Because we all, by nature, are very much interested in ourselves. We do that naturally. We're interested in our own thoughts, our own desires, our own aspirations, our own um, uh, um, pursuits. And we always think about ourselves. But as the Spirit of God applies the gospel to the hearts of the people of God, there is an increasing sensitivity to the people around us and the needs of others uh, who are in our lives. Instead of being wrapped up in ourselves, instead of being wrapped up in our needs, our desires, and our own interests, kindness begins to look outward toward the interest of those around us, whether they deserve it or not. And that's why kindness clearly is a work of the Holy Spirit. Kindness is the overflow of a heart that is values other people and a heart that values their concerns and their needs just as much as your own if not more you could say that kindness is the opposite of indifference indifference is eh, can't be bothered with them i'm wrapped up in my own world but kindness is a consideration of those around us now if we compare that and contrast that with goodness goodness on the other hand is kindness in action so that we understand that goodness then has a sense of an ethical conduct. It's doing the right thing. So goodness has a sense of doing things. Kindness has a sense of our heart uh, that uh, inclines us to want to do the right thing toward others. One particular author I read this week noticed that goodness carries the idea of moral excellence. So a person who is known to be a good man would be a person who does oftentimes the right thing in that particular situation. Romans chapter 15, Paul commended the mature believers of the church in Rome, and he described them as being full of goodness. 
What a wonderful compliment to give someone, full of goodness. And one thing about goodness is that often when one exhibits goodness, when one is doing the proper thing, it is quite possible, and oftentimes is the case, that it is not always wanted or desired. For example, if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, Paul offers a practical application to a situation of how to deal with other people, and he says this. He says, help the people who are weak, give them a little hand, be patient with everyone, that's good advice, and then he says, admonish the unruly. Admonish the unruly. Well, the unruly may not appreciate you admonishing them, right? They might look at you and say, man, what's your problem? Not everyone's excited when a person does the right thing. And so sometimes doing the right thing means people won't view you as perhaps uh, what you thought they would, but it doesn't mean that what you're doing uh, is inclined, is motivated by some sense of trying to exert something on someone, but you're doing the things that honor God and are appropriate in the situation. And that's why I think Paul says at the end of chapter 6, he says that people who do good can oftentimes become weary. Some people don't like it when you do the right thing. Particularly at work, when you're doing the right thing and you're doing your job and you're not slouching off and you're not taking a lot, you know, stretching a job to last four hours, but you can do it in in an hour, and you uh, apply yourself, guess what? People around you begin to resent that. You're making me look like I'm lazy. Well, guess what? You are. You know, those situations where doing good sometimes can become wearisome when people around you don't share the same standards. Because what? Because you're motivated to serve the Lord Christ, not just to serve your boss or others around you. Well, being kind toward other people and being committed to doing good are not meant to be part of some more checklist. Okay, when we look at these uh, character traits in, in Galatians chapter 5, 22, 23, don't think of them as just a checklist. Oh, I have to do this today. I have these obligations that I have to do as a Christian in order to gain right standing with God. If I don't do these things, then God's not going to be looking at me with much favor today. That's not what Paul's saying here now. We need to be careful on this. Kindness and goodness are character qualities that increasingly are to be more evident in the lives of those who are being led by the Spirit. So the Spirit of God is motivating us to want to do these things. Why? Because the gospel has really changed our hearts and how we relate to God and other people. I came across this quote from Mere Christianity, written by C.S. Lewis, in which he describes the different ways in which people view doing good works. Perhaps this will be helpful in uh, steering us away from legalism and trying just to do things to impress other people. Lewis says this, The Christian is in a different position from other people who are trying to do good. Those people, who we would understand to be unbelievers, they hope by being good to please God if there is one. And if they think there is no God, at least they hope to deserve approval from me. But the Christian thinks that any good he does comes from the Christ life inside of him. He does not think that God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because God loves us. You see the difference? One is the fruit of the gospel, that God loves us and has accepted us in Christ in the gospel, and therefore he is enabling us to love other people through us. I wonder how the gospel has softened your selfish heart. Is it evident in kindness, 
Do you find yourself genuinely concerned for other people around you? Or do you pretty much live in your own little bubble? Your own concerns, your own issues, your own world. Are you able to listen to other people patiently, giving them your careful attention, engaging with what they're saying, rather than insisting that other people hear you and what you have to say and your opinions and your concerns and your thoughts? Listening is one of the great ways of showing kindness to people around us. Do the people who know you, would they view you as a person who's known to care about other people? Or do you have a reputation that sort of says, well, they're off doing their own thing. They don't really seem to be engaged in people around them. Are you known to be a person who does what is right, even when no one's watching? These are the kinds of things that really are tough questions to ask, and only the gospel can help us motivate us to move in this direction. I wonder, has the gospel so affected your heart and gripped your heart that you're now motivated to do good works in gratitude to Christ who gave himself for you? And that becomes the driving thought of your day as you think about what you're doing. Lord Jesus, I'm amazed at what I've received in the gospel and therefore I am motivated to want to do good in your name this day. Well, that's the difference between kindness and goodness in our first point. I want us to now think about how the gospel can begin to really grip our hearts more clearly in helping to produce this fruit. And that brings us to point number two. Think about some gospel glimpses of divine kindness and divine goodness. The scriptures record a number of allusions to God's kindness and goodness. And I'd like to suggest that one of them is found in Romans chapter 2, which I've talked about previously in another sermon not too long ago. But Romans chapter 2 is very helpful here in reminding us of God's kindness shown to us every day. Yet most people, even though they're shown the kindness of God, most people disregard it, take it for granted, perhaps even ignore it. But in this passage, Paul points out in Romans chapter 2, leading up to verse 4, that none of us Not a single person in all the earth has an excuse for failing to keep God's standards. We know full well we do things that are against our conscience. We know that we don't keep the standards of what we know to be right and wrong. All of us have a a failure to keep God's standards. And all of us deserve to receive the full measure of God's judgment. That's what he starts off that text there in Romans chapter 2 saying. But God, out of a genuine interest of our brokenness of the sin disease we have in our hearts he holds back his wrath he does not give us instantaneous judgment he does not give what we have coming to us just when we have it coming to us but he gives us time for us to repent romans 2 verse 4 do you think lightly of the riches of god's kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Do you see how he's arguing there that we, we, we so often think that since God does nothing when we tend to break his laws and go our own way, we think, well, it's, we don't think much of it. But what he's reminding us is that God is showing us kindness so that we would recognize his kindness shown to us and repent. Even though we have offended God and we defied his authority, the gospel promises forgiveness 
The gospel promises a new identity to sinners who repent and believe on Christ alone and his work of atonement. In Friday's Newsday, I was reading and caught an article in which it described a local teacher, teaches in a middle school in Wisconsin, who had gone up the day before to Stony Brook University Hospital, uh, where his son was born about two years ago. And this gentleman proceeded to buy $500 worth of gift cards for Starbucks. They have a Starbucks right there in the lobby of the hospital. And uh, the $5 gift cards, he had 100 of them. He gave them to the employees there at the Starbucks, and he uh, told them, I want you to give these away throughout the day with the card given with it, a little tiny business card that describes why he's doing this. It was to remember his 22-month-old son who a couple of years ago drowned in a pond in the backyard of the home. And so he, he did this for the benefit of trying to express random and spreading the acts of kindness to people in his son's name. And so throughout that day, people who came to order their coffee or whatever they were going to offer, order there, they would receive a free cup of coffee and this little man's card would remind them of the, his son and trying to encourage other people to do acts of kindness in their own realm, their own little world. And you think about that. Here's a man who could have taken a, a, pain, a painful loss in life and become an angry person who was venting his frustrations with everyone around him. He is, by the grace of God, somehow, he's turned it into his desire to want to show kindness and acts of kindness to others. I thought, how much more, if that's a, if that's a human example... How much more is the example of God's kindness in the giving of His Son, Jesus Christ, who laid down His life on the cross, not for the people who loved Him and who were showing Him kindness, but for the people who turned away from Him, the people who rejected Him, the people who were His enemies. Turn with me in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3, if you would, and look at this amazing insight into the kindness of God. Titus chapter 3. The more I dug into this, the more I realized I could have preached a whole sermon on this text alone. But I won't. But I could have. Here is Paul, chapter 3 of Titus. He says, listen, in light of the gospel, don't malign anyone, verse 2. Be uncontentious, be gentle, showing every consideration for all men. He talks about being ready to, to, for every good deed in verse 1, by the way. Notice how he's talking about the gospel results in doing good to others around us. And why is that? Well, then he reviews why we do that. The reason is because we look at our lives before we were Christians. Verse 3, also once we were foolish ourselves. We were disobedient. We were deceived, enslaved to various desires and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, Hating one another. That's a description of life apart from Christ. And what does he say then? But when the what? Kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared. Kindness there, I think he says, is God becoming incarnate as an act of kindness in the person of Jesus Christ. When Christ appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. We're not saved by doing good works. But he says, 
we are saved, not on that basis, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the, and the renewing by the power of the Holy Spirit who changes us and gives us a new heart. And then look what He says after that, verse 6. This Holy Spirit is poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by His grace, not by being a better person, not by doing good works, but by His grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Oh, what blessings we receive. Not because we're good people, but because of the grace found in Christ. And then notice verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God may be careful to engage in what? Good deeds. To me, that's the most clear example of how the relationship of the gospel and God and His goodness and kindness shown to us in Christ changes our hearts, not because we've done good things, but because of His mercy and because of His gracious work of the Spirit. And that then is to bleed forth to the fruit and the outward clear evidence of the Spirit of God working in our hearts is that we become people known for our good works. See, God's goodness is shown to everybody on this planet. We just sometimes have the eyes that fail to see it. Not only is it shown in the gospel, but Acts 14 gives us another example of God's goodness. He says He does good by giving rains. The rain that comes from the heaven and and the fruitful seasons that therefore all the things that are growing because of that rain. Satisfying hearts, He says, with food and gladness. Acts 14, 17. God's goodness was also put on display when Jesus' ministry, as he went about, Acts 10.38, doing good, healing those who were oppressed by the devil. Jesus put God's kindness into action. What did he do? Well, he fed the multitude. He touched those who were the untouchables. And and he healed those with leprosy and other forms of disease and brokenness. He, He confronted those who were corrupt in the temple. Jesus called a spade a spade. He went in and said, what you're doing here is wrong. He did good. And he offered so many words of hope to those who were condemned, those who were guilty, broken people, who repent and who believe upon him. Oh, such words of hope he gives to those. In John 10, Jesus is described not as a disinterested caretaker hired to watch the sheep that belongs to somebody else, doesn't really care about them. I'm not going to go out of my way. I'm not going to be inconvenienced, and I'm not going to put my life at risk for these crazy little four-legged animals. But he describes himself as what? I am the good shepherd who does what? Who lays down his life for the sheep. You see, whenever... It's it's the fact that Christ lays down his life for the sheep who do what? Who wander away. And sheep who need rescuing are the ones that Jesus shows his goodness to again and again to people like me and you. You say, I know every time you talk about the goodness of God, I'm aware that there are people here who say to themselves, now just hold on here. I'm not buying into this goodness of God. If you listen to my story, you hear what my life's like. Show me what, how in the world does that fit in with God's goodness. I'm aware that there are people who very much struggle with this idea of the goodness of God. And if you are there this morning, I want to encourage you to just give me a moment here to just offer a word of encouragement to you. 
May I just ask you to kindly, for a moment, just resist the temptation that is so subtle, and yet it's there, to judge God from your own limited human perspective. If you could just take a moment and realize that if it weren't for God's goodness, if it weren't for God's patience, the reality is none of us would be here. The question that we have to ask ourselves is not, how do we make sense of all the evil in the world when you claim that God's good? But the question is, why does God allow seemingly good things to happen to obviously bad people who defy His authority, who refuse to surrender to His rule? Again, I would just ask you to back off and just look a bit more with some reflection on the fact that this deep love that God has for lost creatures, that He provided an all-sufficient Savior to rescue us from our sins, and that He extends a call of salvation far and wide, saying, Come to Me, and I will give you spiritual rest. I will give you rest for your souls. I would suggest to you, the more we understand, the more we come to terms with the greatness of God's kindness, the greatness of God's goodness in Christ, the more, I believe, our hearts will be humbled. We'll be amazed that God would be so interested in our needs, so willing to do the right thing for us. And I'm convinced that that all ties together in what Paul's saying in that Titus 3 passage, where he says, the more I'm amazed at who I used to be, before I was a believer, and what I'm now motivated to be is because of the gospel, it's because of God, because of the grace I've received through Jesus Christ. That brings me now to my third point, and one I trust that will be practical in nature. We don't want to just talk about this as theory in our minds and walk out of here saying, okay, well, it's all nice and good. Let's think of gospel fruit of kindness and goodness. As we follow the Spirit's lead, what's that going to look like in producing the fruit of goodness and kindness? Well, the first thing I'd like to suggest is rather than just start doing things, I want to encourage us to get our thoughts in the right direction first. And so I think about gospel meditations. Psalm 108 is a good place to start in that regard. And there are many places we could go. I don't have time to list all the different verses speaking of God's goodness. But we would do well to ponder God's goodness long enough to develop a grateful heart. Psalms 107 verse 8 says this, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. If we could just take time to chew on that and meditate on that and give thought, think about Take some moments to ponder God's goodness shown to you, shown to me. Lifting up our hearts in gratitude to God. What a powerful effect that has upon us becoming more inclined to be kind and good. Arthur Pink wrote these words. It's in your notes. He says, Gratitude is the return justly required from the objects of God's helpfulness. It is often withheld from our great benefactor simply because... Why? Because his goodness is so constant and his goodness is so abundant. It is lightly esteemed. God's goodness is lightly esteemed because it is exercised toward us in the common course of events. It is not felt because we daily 
experience it. Isn't that true? Something you have every day, you forget. Wow, what a blessing to have the goodness of God shown to me another day. I would suggest the more we marvel at God's goodness shown to us, the more we'll be motivated to do good to others. Even those who choose not to do good to you. Let's think about that more specifically then. Let's get the gospel, I call it, on the ground. Gospel on the ground. Let's get down to everyday life and think about how this works itself out. Well, the gospel has a way of compelling our normally self-centered hearts to becoming more aware of the people around us and concerned about their needs and not just our own. The gospel reminds us that at one time, 2 Corinthians 4.4, we were blind by the God of this world. At one time, we too were ensnared by the devil. We were held captive to do his will. And Jesus reminded his disciples that the gospel is counterintuitive. say, what in the world do you mean by that? Well, when Jesus instructed his disciples in Luke chapter 6, he calls his disciples to do what? Just the opposite of what you naturally are going to do. He says we are to love our enemies. You say, well, wait a minute. It's not, you sure you love those who love you? No, no. He says, love your enemies. And then what does he say? Luke 6, 35, and do good. Love your enemies. And how do you do that? By doing what's good. Not just what's as easy, not just what works for you, but do what's good. That is what's right. Rather than demanding our rights, rather than people and making them begin to become making sure that people get what they deserve. That's what most of us tend to do when we feel as though we've been sinned against to some leisure. We want to see the connection with, often in the scriptures, God connects the idea of being kind, being concerned with other people, getting out of our own rights, out of our own world, of our own needs and desires, leads us into the realm of being willing to extend forgiveness to those who repent. This is done twice, at least, clearly in the New Testament. Ephesians 4.32, many of you know that verse. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. See the connection between kindness and forgiving? And then Colossians 3, verses 12 and 11. As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, there it is, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Louis Zamperini, how's that for an Italian name? Zamperini was born into, yes, an Italian family here in New York. And his family growing up only spoke Italian at home. And therefore, a couple of years, when they, years later, after Zamperini was born, uh, he clearly had such a strong accent, he had such a uh, difficult time speaking English that he was bullied by the people who knew him in California. Uh, they made fun of him. And so early on in life, he was motivated to learn how to box, to defend himself initially. But he learned to be such a good boxer that he then began to develop a habit. <laughs> the habit was to beat the tar 
out of anybody who made fun of him. His heart was bitter and angry. And he hated anybody who didn't show him respect. Fast forward. By the way, he had no kindness. He had no room for kindness in his heart for anybody. Fast forward, he eventually joined the Air Force. He was part of that great generation serving in World War II. He was assigned to the Pacific where he was on a plane. The plane that he was on went down because of mechanical problems, crashed in the ocean. He and several others survived. And somehow, somehow he made it through not 10, 20, 30. It was 47 days floating on the sea. So just barely surviving that. Only then to be captured by the Japanese forces. He spent two and a half years then being tortured as a POW. After all those miserable years finally went by, he was liberated and released. He came back to the United States. Fast forward a little more, he got married, started a family, and his wife invited him to come to a Billy Graham crusade. It was at that crusade that he began to hear the gospel and heard of the kindness that God showed him in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. And as a, and as a result of hearing the gospel, Louis Zamperini began to marvel that he could be forgiven by God on the basis of grace alone through Christ. So his heart was changed. His hardened heart began to be kind, began to be committed to doing good. And he began to, to circulate and sharing his testimony and wanting to be used of God in whatever ways he could. And he heard of a missionary who invited him to come over back to Japan. Having seen the power of the gospel to take an embittered heart that was his and to make it a heart now full of kindness for those who don't know Christ and who have yet to hear and embrace the gospel. And so he accepted this invitation from a missionary who was working in Japan to share his testimony with several of these men, these brutal men, who were the guards from his years of being a POW. And these guards had been put on trial. They had been found guilty of war crimes, and now they were in jail. And so here's Lewis, through an interpreter, proclaiming to them the gospel of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. The gospel that had transformed his heart expanded, expressed itself in his desire and his kind heart toward them, realizing that they were lost in their sins, they needed a Savior, and he pointed them to Christ's kindness, Christ's goodness in the gospel. And here is Zamperini become a tool of God's kindness and goodness to his former enemies. I wonder, has your heart seen the kindness of God translated through the gospel into your own heart where it softened your heart where you're willing to forgive those who repent and who seek that forgiveness? In the early church, kindness and goodness became the kind of characteristic traits of those early Christians. They were known to be people who washed the feet of other Christians. They were the people who opened their homes and offered warm hospitality, even though they didn't have much resources to share. They were the people who gave money sacrificially, collecting it, and then having it sent off to other Christians who were going through famines, not having anything to eat. 
It's Alexander McLaren who came up, I thought, with this helpful comment. He talked about how do we understand the early Christian faith changing and turning the world sort of upside down in the Roman era? He says, kindness makes a person attractive. If you would win the world, writes Alexander McLaren, melt it, do not hammer it. It's the kindness of the gospel being lived out is the way to see people's hearts being changed. I wonder how is God's kindness reshaping your self-centered heart? Are you concerned about the needs of those around you? How about your spouse? Do you ever offer words of encouragement, words to edify, words that compliment your spouse, words that say, I appreciate this about you? Are you a person who, when you come home from work, you find yourself in your favorite chair, you find yourself with the remote in your hand, you find yourself saying, I belo- I've earned some time for a little rest here? Or do you say, I am concerned about the needs of those around me, and I'm offering myself to help where I'm needed? Is there kindness in the tone of your voice when you speak to people? Do your children sense that you are kindly concerned with their interests, with the things that mean a lot to them. How about your neighbor next door, who for some reason never seems to ever get around to raking his leaves, and you end up raking half of his off of your lawn throughout the months of the year? I know there's a member of our church who lives right over here on Elliott Avenue. I could tell you who it is. He's not even here today. Sid Williams who goes and he puts the trash cans that have been emptied by the garbage man, he walks them back down the driveway of pretty much many people right here on Elliott Avenue as an act of kindness. Just say, hey, I'm just doing something thoughtful for you. Trying to show the kindness of Christ to the neighborhood. Recently, we had a wonderful opportunity to hear of our young people who went on their mission trip several months ago back in February, came back and described how they realized they did a lot of these things, acts of kindness to people there, how, how important it is to do that here. And I wanted to say, and it's so true, that those acts of kindness can start right there in your own home. Serving Christ by saying, is there something kind I can do in my home today for somebody? Help one of my parents, help one of my siblings, help the dog somewhere. We can find something kind to do, can't we? How about your unsaved coworker? Has he ever seen kindness? expressed from you even though he is a grumpy old guy or a rather gossipy woman that's hard to be around how about your fellow students have they seen something kind generated on your end of things what would happen if the gospel gripped your heart and your reputation would become known as a person who is known far and wide as here's a person that does good all the time in incredible ways there's a woman in scriptures who had that reputation Chapter 9 of Acts, we read of a woman named Dorcas. Dorcas developed a reputation for abounding in good deeds and charity, which she did on a continual basis. I'd like to challenge you this week. What opportunities is God giving you, if indeed the gospel of the kindness of God and the goodness of God has so begun to humble you and make you so thankful to Him Where are the opportunities God is going to give you to practically do good for Him this week? I challenge you. Ask the Lord. Say, Lord, 
Help me find some area today where I can offer something kind. It could be just a nice, kind greeting. Most people here in our area don't even speak to you, much less smile. But a nice, kind greeting, a word of compliment, a word of appreciation to someone who serves you. You'd be amazed at the door that opens in being kind. What random act of kindness might you do this week? What might happen if your life became characterized by good deeds and acts of kindness? Wouldn't that be neat to see? Turn with me to the last part of Galatians 6, and then we'll close with this verse. Galatians 6, verse 9 and 10. You say, I get tired of trying to be good. People are so mean. People have got such a nasty attitude. I'm so tired of having people be rude to me all day long. I can understand that. But do you remember who these people are outside of Christ? They may not know the gospel, or perhaps they've lost sight of it. Look what Paul says. Let us not lose heart in what? Doing good. Don't just think about it, but in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, he says, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And especially to those who are in the household of faith. Especially those who are in your family, your church family. Be sure to do it to them, but offer it to any and all. It is a powerful expression of the fruit of of the gospel for all to see. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again as we read through your word that it becomes very clear that you don't ask us to be something that you're not. And Lord, today we've been reminded once again of the greatness of your kindness and goodness shown to us in Christ in the gospel. Lord, it is my prayer that this gospel will humble all of us. For those, Lord, who have yet to repent, I pray that this might remind them, Lord, that you're holding back, giving us what we deserve so that we might have time to repent. And for others of us, Lord, we struggle with your goodness because of so much evil in the world. I pray that you would help them to see more clearly that you are good and to not be so stern in their assessment of you, to overlook the amazing expressions of your goodness and kindness in Christ. And Father, I pray that for us this week, as we think about you giving your Son and the amazing kindness you've sent into this world, Jesus Christ, to save sinners like us, I pray, Lord, that you would put us on a mission to do acts of kindness to those around us, And to watch what you will do as you minister through us. And that people begin to see in us, not ourselves trying to be better people, but they begin to see the fruit of your spirit at work in us because of the power of the gospel. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.